Toronto gets the pressure. And Mills, he's looking deep down the field again. He's got a man and a touchdown. And what a throw by Davis Mills. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. Talking your Houston Texans. Straight from the great British Ellsworth. Going out to Paolo Alto this week to try and learn a little bit more about this year's recruit uh, and another one today actually, very timely and of course your man who's got the opportunity under centre this week but we're speaking to Ben from Stanford Rivals Ben, how are you? I'm doing good, about yourself? I'm good man, I'm good, thank you very much for the time much appreciated Um, do you want to give the people just a not familiar just a little overview of Stanford football and where that programme is right now? Yeah, sure. So uh, Stanford football um, just finished a, we'll just say less than uh, productive. I would say productive, but 2021 was a rough year for them. You know, they went three and seven, um, didn't have the kind of season that they were hoping to have. Um, but, you know, they had a really good, they signed a really good recruiting class, top 15, top 20 level recruiting class. Uh, come 22, um, Really talented quarterback in Tanner McKee, who's entering his junior year, and he's got some good weapons. So kind of a program that, that took a dip last year, didn't have the kind of year they were hoping to have, uh, but they're hoping to have a bounce back 2022 um, and prove that last season was just an aberration and nothing indicative of who they are and who they're going to Sure, and where's the where's the name, image, and likeness? you got the, the ever-evolving transfer portal. Uh, where How's that kind of impacted Stanford and sort of the Pac-12 as a whole? Yeah, so for Stanford, it's kind of an interesting situation with them because for Stanford at least, you know, the academics is such a huge part of their recruiting pitch and a part of their brand, right? So um, I think they've had a little bit of a tough time, you know, um, trying to figure out where to fit in the NIL um, just because they want to make sure that that doesn't overshadow the key part of their recruiting pitch, which is, you come here, you're going to get an education from one of the top universities in the world. Um, and it's you know not a four-year decision, but a 40-year decision. That's what they tell kids. Um, that's stated. Um, you know, players are able to make money off of jersey sales, off their own name, image, and likeness, off jersey sales. Um, and there are some players who've, who've you know, gotten some cool kind of um, NAL opportunities through Silicon Valley connections and everything. So it's definitely something that they're – you know, um, hoping to utilize, um, but it's just finding that balance between, okay, how do we make sure we, we can leverage this without an overshadow in our overall kind of message of you come here for the degree first and the NIL and the NIL is second. Um, as far as the PAC 12 as a whole, it's concerned that piece of it. I mean, I, I think the PAC 12 as a whole, you know, has tried eight school is, you know, doing different things and is trying to navigate it in their own ways. So I can't really touch too much on, you know, what other schools are doing too much. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, some of this is an extension of what's already going on before, right? It's like, you know, Nike has poured in tons of money into the Oregon Ducks, right, in their program. So that's a school that's going to even more kind of try to enhance things. So now it really depends on the school. Um, but as far as Stanford is concerned, um, it really is it's just a matter of finding that balance between, you know, prioritizing the academic side, making that the key part of their pitch, um, but also trying to enhance the fact they do live next to Silicon Valley and there are some cool any opportunities there. So hope that kind of answers your question on that. Yeah, and the Texans this year, 
drafted Thomas Booker um, as a recruit and kind of him joining the program. What was kind of what's what's been what was his kind of uh, perception joining the program versus kind of where he ended up at his time in Stanford? Yeah, I mean, when he came into Stanford, he was already he was already a highly touted recruit coming in. Um, one of the big changes he made. Um, I think was he, he put on some weight coming from his first two years at Stanford. He was about 20 pounds lighter than where he is now. Um, and that was an interesting kind of transformation to see him make. Um, you know, I think it's Stanford too. You know, they, they, they had some, I don't say challenges, but I think they recognize he's a unique talent and, and, and a unique player in that, He's capable of playing both on the outside and on the inside. So he really kind of got a mix of both experiences, both playing outside defensive end edge kind of rusher type, as well as interior lineman. Um, and um, he, he was more productive when he was, I think, playing more on the outside and had and wasn't as heavy. Um, he didn't have as much production last season. Um, and I think part of it was because they, they made him put on the weight and made him more interior lineman. So, I think he's really most strong suited, ideally, for more of an edge rusher type of role. Um, if he can find that, it seemed where he kind of really shined. Um, but, you know, uh, regardless, you know, he was a team captain last year um, and really a hardworking player. Um, and you just interviewed Sam next to him. He's a, I mean, a physically impressive specimen of a player. Um, really big, you know, like I said, big guy does still, you know, really quick, quick feet. Um, and I think more than anything, what separates Thomas Booker from other players is his intellect. He's one of the smartest players, I, athletes I've been around. Um, and he understands the game really well, articulates himself really well, um, and knows what he's doing. And so um, if there's a guy that can figure out how to transition, make adjustments to his game to fit the NFL, uh, he would definitely be that guy because, just because of how smart he is and how much he understands the game. Yeah, it's interesting you say about the weight because I, I think when you, when you watch his tape in his final year, I think you're right. I think there's some some of the burst and some of the some of the kind of pressures and some of the kind of uh, disruption to plays predominantly comes on the edge of a four or a five man front. Um, but my my concern with him was watching the Utah tape, and it wasn't a great game for any of that defense um, by a long 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 stretch. Um, a lot of big you know give. Touches downs given up, and that was a problem for that defense last year in terms of number of games we watched. You know, long runs and um, you know, and and just blown assignments. But if you watch that Utah game, there was a couple of touchdowns. There was one in the goal line. There was a couple of other plays where he just kind of got pinballed a bit in the in the run game, and I I thought that was a concern for that. Is that is that something that's been always part of his game, or is that just kind of some bad tape? How would you kind of uh, how would you kind of peg Booker's ability against the run? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about I think where he's his most kind of natural strong suit, I think coming in is more of an outside edge guy. I think interior-wise was a bit tougher. I think that I think the challenge for him really was simply uh like I said, his his strength, I think, was really being you know, burst off the edge um and really being more of an outside edge rusher. And so I think interior-wise, um, he put on more weight to be more of an interior guy, but he lost some of his burst, some of his speed with that. Um, one other thing I'll say too, um, to cut him some slack to come to his defense a little bit here is every team that went up against Stanford knew that he was kind of, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at Stanford's defensive line, he's the only, he's the only guy that got drafted and he's the only guy that was a 
I mean, a, a serious like NFL prospect on last year's defensive line. Okay. So every team that went up against Stanford knew that, okay, if we're going to run well against Stanford, we just got to take Thomas Booker out and we're good. We'll be fine. And so he faced a lot of double teams and teams really threw the book at the guy. I mean, that was really his biggest problem was that teams knew that if they just slowed down Thomas Booker and took him out of the equation, they could run the ball well. And teams did that well. Um, so at the NFL level, you know, he'll be around other, you know, and he'll be around NFL level guys. So he's no longer going to be the top defensive lineman on his team. He's not initially. Um, and I think he'll benefit from that. So I think if he had a stronger defensive line around him and a stronger defensive front seven around him as a whole, um, I think he would have been more effective um, and teams wouldn't have been able to scheme as much against him in the way that they did, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, you definitely see that on the tape. I think, you know, he does get a, a, a significant consideration of double teams. And um, it's, yeah, and it's interesting about the weight because I think when you look at him, when you, like if you see him just kind of a, a head height and even when he's playing, you know, um, and, and on, the, on the broadcast, you, you wouldn't think he's 300 pounds. So I, 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 I sort of toy with the idea, would he be better and more efficient, like you said, like in his previous years around 280, um, and that may give you a bit more flexibility to, to kind of sit him on the edge predominantly because I think a 300-pound guy at the pros just doesn't sit on the edge, you know. So I think for and what will be Lovey Smith's four-man front, so no, that's, that's, that's interesting uh um, to 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 understand that dynamic of him of the you kind of touched on it there but who is Thomas the guy I mean what's what's good Texans fan expect him he's very articulate very intelligent um, so academically de- decorated but how would you kind of describe Thomas the guy Thomas the guy is really really likable um, you know on top of just being smart he's just a really likable nice guy um, and. Um, yeah, he's just a really fun personality to be around. He's very personable. Um, I, I think one of the things that NFL teams and all, all professional sports teams factor into consideration is, you know, community outreach, what kind of guy is this going to be? I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be great in the just the Houston community um, and be a really good spokesman for the team, for team events, charity events, and stuff. Obviously, you know, guys are drafted because of their football abilities, first and foremost, of course. But I think they're going to get a guy that's going to be really engaged in the Houston community um, and be a real asset to them in that way as well. Um, so, and I just, you know, being, being a good example to, you know, you know, kids in the Houston area obviously look up to the players on the Texans, right? And so a guy, like you know, Thomas Booker comes in, Houston Texans player, who's smart, articulate, and educated like he is with a Stanford degree, comes in. I mean, he has an opportunity to just make a huge impact on the lives of kids and people in the community in that way, you know? And so just from a community outreach standpoint, I think he's got a lot of potential there. Um, and he's just, like I said, just a really nice, likable guy and just a really easy guy to root for, a really easy guy to like. Um, and so I think uh, he's a guy that Texans fans are definitely going to like in that, stand- in that sense. Just a great all-around guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, what do you think he's kind of ceiling is as a pro? I'm not necessarily big into player comps, but what do you what do you kind of see his role being, or what what do you, or what certainly was the expected role that he would take at this level, and what what sort of kind of career do you think he can achieve? Yeah, so I think he's a guy. I mean, obviously, as a fifth round selection, right? I mean, it's tough to last more than two 
years in the league, right? The average NFL career is two years, right? So two years. And so it's tough to stick. So he's already kind of got his back against the law on that standpoint. In terms of like what his ceiling is, I, I think he's a guy that if all goes well for him, he could potentially be a guy who finds his way to remain on a 53-man roster and get some rotational minutes um, and, and come in and, and you know, kind of be a second-line backup defensive, defensive lineman potentially, and, and maybe in some situations come in and give guys a breather. I think that's kind of where he, he could be as a guy that's kind of that second unit defense, um, get some minutes on field goal defense, um, and as a second, you know, second, you know, like I said, second string kind of guy. Um, and, you know, and it's a, you know, it's a war of attrition out there in football. And so, you know, you can certainly come in and dispel some guys and come in and, and give guys a breather and, and make an impact there. Um, and, and like I said, benefit from not having teams have the double team all the time. So I, I think he's certainly, I mean, guys like him are able to, that are smart like he is, that are disciplined like he is, work hard like he is, and do have the physical package that he does have, are guys that, you know, can, can find a home in the league for a while. I don't, I don't know if I see him being a starter or being a pro bowl or anything like that. That's lofty, and that would be, I think, a surprise for all of us if he, if he reaches that ceiling. But certainly a second-string second guy, get some minutes, solid backup, dispel some guys. Um, and, 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 and like I said, consistently find a way to hang on a 53 man roster. I think that's kind of his ceiling. Um, and I think he'd be tickled pink if that's where he ends up. Yeah, no doubt. Well, if you can get those kind of guys in the fifth round, absolutely. I'll throw a couple of names at you, Ben. Uh, one we've just picked up today, released by the 49ers, former Stanford wide receiver, Connor Weddington. Um, not necessarily caught on in the league much. Any kind of impressions of Connor? Yeah, honestly, you know, I don't really have a whole lot to say on Connor because I didn't cover Stanford when he was, you know, when he was here. Um, I, I will say this though that just in general, um, one thing that Stanford fans could expect from uh, Texan fans could expect from Connor um, is a guy who, you know, is well prepared to play in an in an, in an NFL kind of system because the, the offensive system that Stanford does run, um, you know, is is very pro style oriented. Um, and so he should fit in well with that. And then obviously having Davis Mills, former Stanford guy with him, there should be some connection there and some familiarity there. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're getting a guy who I think um, is well prepared for the league in that standpoint and has experience playing in a pro style offense and gone up against good competition. So I think having a, some familiarity there with Davis Mills will be, will be a good thing for him. So that's all I can say about it. I only really cover him when he was there, but just in general, I think, Coming through Stanford system should, should should serve him well. Yeah, no, and talking about the man of the hour, Davis Mills. Um, in terms of kind of your recollections and memories of his co- collegiate career, how would you kind of sum up that from from your standpoint? Yeah, I think was Davis Mills, and you know, once again, I wasn't covering him really when I, I, I took over this position a year ago, so he had already kind of left by the time I came on board. But just kind of conversations we've had on our side about him, you know, one thing I'll say is I think. In terms of his time at Stanford, um, I'm going to tell you, Stanford fans wish he had he had had more time here, right? Because uh, the one year he kind of started and kind of got the reins was the COVID year. Only played six games, um, and so during the limited opportunities he got to play here, he he was fantastic. He was really really good, um, and he's just another you know another another you know uh, I don't I don't say call Stanford QBU. That's maybe a bit of a stretch, but they've had a lot of good quarterbacks come through here. 
Um, and he's just another example of that, right? Um, another guy who's benefited from David Shaw's offensive pro style offense. Um, and he, he was really good here. He really was. And I think Stanford fans, you know, had nothing but fond memories to him. And they just wish that he had played in a normal season, not during the pandemic. And then they could have gotten, they could have gotten to see more of what he could do because I think once again, he's another guy and maybe Booker becomes a guy like this, where I think when he left Stanford, there was obviously more untapped potential still to be had. Um, and I think when he became a starter the first time, I think everyone was kind of pleasantly surprised. And then to see him kind of take over the role he has in Houston and become kind of the solidified starter, I think it was a real pleasant surprise. For people. So he, he's a guy that, you know, has to his credit found a way to take his game up a notch from where it was at college. And I think it's a credit to Stanford's system and Stanford's coaching that they prepared him as well as he, as, as they did. I'm going to credit to him for finding ways to dig deep and just get better because some guys stagnate or some guys drop off. And he's clearly a guy who has improved from his time in college. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been kind of fun to see, to see him accomplish what he has had in, in, in Houston. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think it's the, it's the development trend. I think a lot of people are pinning their hopes on this year, coaching staff, uh, fans alike. I think that if you watch his tape from last year, it's inconsistent. Um, there's no full four quarters of good ball back to back. But what he does do is bounce back from a bad quarter, a bad half, or a bad performance in training camp, which is kind of infamously followed him around. I think that's that's that kind of. Uh, bounce back ability that I think people like about him and if, if he can if he can continue to do that then hopefully there's some form of serviceable both starter in there and and in terms of uh, Davis and, and and everybody you speak to around campus and things are they are they surprised that he that he um that he's kind of he's done what he's done coming at a third round selection because it kind of felt like it was a blank canvas in many ways because just the the, col- the collegiate record was so limited the sample size was so small it felt like a number of outcomes was possible is that is there a surprise there and is there kind of any expectations beyond the kind of surprise that's already been yeah i think people have been surprised um i think that i think it's been a surprise like i said i think people kind of seeing what he's done like man wish we could have seen more of this guy wish we could have had more of him you know um he's definitely been a he's definitely been a surprise um but then once again it kind of speaks to kind of the the you know the uncertainty surrounding a pandemic season right when you're only playing six games you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're getting from guys, right? So yeah, I think Davis Mills has definitely been a real surprise. Um, but I mean, I think at the same time, I think when he left for the pros, I, I think people kind of just knowing the pedigree of Stanford quarterbacks that have come through there before, Kellen Chris, Kevin Hogan, Andrew Luck, these guys, I think people kind of knew like, okay, like maybe he'll be the next line of those guys to kind of succeed in the league. So Stanford definitely has a strong track record of of successful of successful quarterbacks um so i think that gave people some hope but yeah i, I think everyone was, was definitely surprised that he's done as well as he has and certainly to lock up a starter job as quick as he has yeah i don't, I don't think anybody saw that coming but third round's not sixth round it's not seventh round you know there are guys who who do at that level become starters pretty quickly and he became one of those guys yeah, and Kevin Hogan's a guy that we've added the familiarity with Pep's scheme. Um, I think he's been a he is a kind of teacher uh, camp role uh, this year. But uh, certainly, you know, Texas fans will have memories from playing against Cleveland. But he comes in as well to to add to that lineage. Um, 
In terms of this year, um, of the Texans kind of more involved in the draft with the Sean Watson trade, we've got a couple of extra, extra picks in quite a few rounds. Is there any guys that you expect to declare for this year's draft ben, at Stanford that people should be keeping an eye on? Uh, for 2023's draft? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Um, the, the big name is, is Tanner McKee, who's the starting quarterback. Um, he's, uh, he's a guy that, you know, some people have said could maybe go first round. Um, I just did an article on this, um, and he certainly is a guy that if he has the kind of season that, you know, Stanford is hoping he'll have, he absolutely could be a first-round selection. Um, just because he's 6'6", 226 pounds, um, quick release, quick, good footwork in the pocket, um, and just a really smart player. And he has a cannon for an arm um, and has no problem throwing in tight windows. So – um, that's really the big name. I mean, there's other guys too that if they have big seasons could maybe find their way in on the draft board. Um, wide receiver Bryson Tremaine is coming off of a broken leg, um, was prolific last season before the injury. So if he has a big year, he could find his way onto a team potentially. Um, running back EJ Smith um, is going to be a junior. If he has a breakout season, I don't think he'll leave the NFL for this year, but He's a guy that's got NFL potential. His dad's Emmett Smith. So he's got NFL bloodlines for sure. That's always a guy you want to keep an eye on. Uh, tight end Benjamin Urosik another guy. Um, um, you know, and then corner on the defensive side of the ball, cornerback Kyle Blue Kelly is one of the top corners in the Pac-12. There was some speculation of him possibly leaving for the NFL draft uh, for 2022, but he's decided to come back and sharpen his craft, hone his skills. Um, and then some guys in the defensive back, other defensive backs as well. Possibly safety, Jonathan McGill's safety, Patrick Fields, who grad transferred from Oklahoma and was Al Mobile MVP. So there's some guys there on, on, in the secondary that, you know, can maybe get selected as well as some of the receivers. Um, um, and then, you know, interior lineman, Branson Braggs, another guy who could also get selected as well. So there's a few guys that they have. Um, but I would say on the defensive side of the ball, top guy is Kai Blue Kelly. He's the guy that could see his name called for sure. Um, and then on the, at the offensive side, definitely Tanner McKee. I mean, quarter, I mean quarterbacks, you know, are, are hard to come by. Good quarterbacks are hard to come by. And, I mean, I, caught, I was at Cal before, um, and I was there kind of when, you know, Jared Goff was, was selected. And, you know, he's a guy that went picked, you know, number one overall, as you know. And even though Cal didn't have a great season, Cal was never very good under, under him. Um, but that didn't stop the Rams from taking him one overall. And so even if Stanford doesn't have a great team season, uh, McKee could be kind of a Jared Goff type where in spite of maybe not having the kind of team success, that NFL teams just look at his overall physical package and say, okay, this is a guy we want to work with. And, and he can hear his name called first round. So, yeah, those are the names and McKee being at the top. No, well, no, well excellent. Well, thank you very much. Ben, for your time, I think all Texas fans should be keeping an eye on the program for certainly for the next couple of years. As there's certainly some some close links there with with Pep and uh, some of the some of the scouting staff, and they've definitely spent a lot of time on campus. But where can the good people find your work in the team at Stanford route? Yeah, so the website is Stanford.rivals.com. Um, you can also go to CardinalSportsReport.com. That's the domain name in the site as well. So just CardinalSportsReport.com. Stanford.rivals.com. Both of those go to the same place. Um, so they can just check out the stuff there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll have, I'll, I'll, hopefully we'll have some stuff on Thomas 
stuff on Davis Mills, maybe. And uh, as one of our subscribers calls it, uh, the Houston Texans are now Stanford East. So there's a lot of guys there. So it's been kind of fun to see all those Stanford guys somehow all come to Houston. So it's been, it's been yeah. Well, that, that was Ben from Stanford Rivals. Thank you very much to him and for his time. And uh, we'll be back again next week to try and explore some more of this collegiate class with you. But until then, thank you again. We'll catch you next week. Bye.